Hello and welcome to the ET PhD team podcast, the podcast here to help you with your relationship with food and body by giving you evidence-based techniques to support yourself with a sprinkling of feminism, a dash of dismantling diet culture and a side of vulnerability as we share our own messy lives with you. I'm Emilia, a registered nutritionist and PhD with the sole purpose of making your life happier and healthier. If you love it, please do go wild and share it. And if you're ready for support with our coaching, details are in the show notes. Hello and welcome to episode number 151 of the ETPHD Team Podcast with myself and my favourite, what can I call you, my favourite book reader of all time, Ed Cunningham. Hi. Hi, thanks for having me, Amelia. It's good to be here. I'm very excited. I don't have guests on this podcast very often, you know, and especially men, especially men. Or yeah, people can identify as Well, scumbags, obviously, so you wouldn't want yeah. them on the podcast well, anyway. True. true. You've slipped through the net. You've slipped through the net. I might regret yeah, it. Happens. I know. Do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, so my name is Ed Cunningham. I have a podcast. It's all about books uh, because I love reading and I kind of want other people to love it because educating yourself is like liberating yourself, really, on any kind of topic. So... I'm here, I guess, today to encourage you to read. Yeah, because anyone who listens to this podcast knows that I get asked, or we as a team get asked about what books we recommend for various things all of the time. And I feel a little bit bad because we are always just trawling our bookshelves, reciting the same books over and over again. And so I feel like you are the genius. So I'm going to outsource this information. Um, but we, how did we meet? It was the first time when I came on your podcast a while ago. Yeah, I think it was. That was a really long time ago as well. That yeah. Like 2020, maybe. Yeah, it was 2020. I remember it was 2020. So we did we did a podcast together and then we did another two podcasts together with Emma, which I highly recommend if you haven't listened to the podcast. I actually wrote down the numbers of yours because they were, they were two of the best, pod, best podcasts that I've ever done in my life. Like I love them so much. Yeah, and that was episode 123 and 124. Your podcast is called Need to Read. Um, and they were the funniest, best episodes. Like they were so good. So I highly recommend. And that was just I like, think we did that well. I, yeah. I think getting getting two women on to talk about superior men was probably the best idea I've ever had. Yeah, it was it was genius. And so highly recommend not the book that we spoke about today, um, but the actual episodes were great. So we're gonna get cracking with a really easy question first, Ed. Um mm. <clears throat> What are your thoughts on um, Roe versus Wade? Kidding. Oh. <laughs> kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Well, I can, people can read my thoughts on Roe versus Wade if they actually want to, because um, I wrote about it, didn't I, for my Substack. I wrote, I feel, quite a uh, coherent piece on on my thoughts on Roe versus Wade and uh-huh. religious impact on society. So, um, yeah, I, for one, am obviously not best pleased that it was overturned. I don't think that signals anything good for society mm-hmm. um, but if people want to read that whole piece I, I worked quite hard on it and it's on my Substack. oh I'll definitely read it I was just kind of kidding to try and make you sweat before we started so oh, no. that's great <laughs> I do remember actually when the it was in 2020 when that was that week of International Women's Day and when Sarah Everard was murdered and all of these things happened in a week and I do remember actually we've spoken about this before you were the one man that I saw share any sort of voice to support women in that and I, I remember that time thinking oh he's quite a good egg so it doesn't oh, actually surprise me that you, that. you did you did <laughs> <laughs> little did I know okay 
I'm going to start on the very, very um, simple topic of self-awareness. Can you talk about a little bit about your journey? Because you've got a really interesting story. You don't have to share all the ins and outs on this podcast. We overshare. I don't expect you to overshare. But can you share a little bit about your journey with like becoming more self-aware as a person kind of to set this off? Well, I, I think to like go into it lightly, I just came to a stage in my life where I hated myself so deeply um, that I kind of needed to become self-aware. I kind of needed to like have a look at my life and be like, hmm, what's making me feel like this? Because, um, you know, we live in the universe of cause and effect. Something's got to make you feel some way. Um, and I was just living a life where I was very unaware, like going out all the time, doing drugs, Sorry, mum, because she's already said before that she hates when I talk about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, like just not living a great life, you know. Um, and I and I had to become self-aware for that. I kind of got into meditation um, and toyed with that a couple of times before I started taking it seriously. Um, and I guess when you start examining various different points of your life, you like to see the benefits in some zones. You're like, well, I'll, maybe I'll transfer that to somewhere else. What else can I put under the microscope? Um, and I think my life's got wholly better since then, or I guess my problems have kind of moved to less damaging place. Mm. I think it's interesting, like you said, when you realise you can apply one, you, you you develop your awareness to try and improve one part of your life, and then you realise actually how transferable it is to every other part of your life. And you see this a lot with relationship with food. So from the outset, we support people with their relationship with food. But as soon as you start to practice all of this kind of awareness side of things with food people then realize oh actually I can transfer that onto my body I can transfer that onto my relationships and every other part of their life and it's like once you just find that one bit of your life that you want to you you know that you need to work on either you hate yourself or you you're binge eating regularly whatever it is once you find that little string you pull on it and then it just opens up like this whole other world which I love yeah and the way that I think about it is like that no one can actually like make someone self-aware everyone comes to that point on their own but when it comes to that point you're kind of facing a choice you're like well i might as well mm. be a little bit more aware of this and, and see how it goes because yeah you've got a long life to live right hopefully <laughs> um yeah so you meditate so we obviously ran into i say ran into each other we met up in mexico when em and i were there earlier this year and you I remember you, I think you just did like half hour of meditation on the beach or something yourself, didn't you? What's your journey with meditation? What's it like? What does it look like for you? So it's it's actually changed quite a bit recently, but I I'd meditated, did like a 50 day, like waking up Sam Harris course in like 2019 and, and completed that. And it was very complicated. He takes quite a philosophical approach to it and I wasn't ready for it at the time. So I kind of fell off the wagon. And then as the pandemic hit I was like I really need some like stillness and some calmness because um don't know if you know this but the world's quite chaotic um so <laughs> like just sitting down for like 10 20 minutes in the morning seemed like a really positive thing for me to be able to do and then I did it every single day for like 760 days whatever the streak was on on headspace I wouldn't recommend people do that why because you, you because you get obsessed with it and it gets in the way of other parts of your life and I, th I think I've now struck a more of a healthy balance I like meditate like five six times a week but I don't regret 
doing it for like two years in a row because I, yeah. I think you kind of have to get obsessed with it to become unobsessed with it to find that balance because um, mm-hmm. you know you're never going to get it right first time for sure do you know what I did um at Anna as well we both did like 30 days or 31 days of yoga in August and we meditated we sorry we meditated anyway and we did some yoga anyway and for me I didn't really like yoga I've always kind of done it in the last couple of years I do it because I know that it makes me feel quite good but I never didn't love it so I was like right I'm going to do every single day in August and and as much as I think you shouldn't do everything every single day and you shouldn't have this quantitative attachment. I think we sometimes get it wrong that we think we have to ease ourselves into everything really, really slowly. Sometimes I think we just need to go, let's just go hard and overcommit and do overcommit for a certain amount of time. Maybe two years is a tad excessive, but <laughs> whatever floats your boat, like overcommit for a short amount of time. And then we can take a step back and say, well, okay, well, I know that does make me feel good. What can I now be a bit more flexible with? I think it's quite yeah. helpful of course and it gives people like a sense of accomplishment to like do something every day for two weeks or do something every day for a month and then I guess it is like having the self-awareness to be able to stop that at some point mm-hmm. and not be obsessed with like your streak yeah here's your a question <laughs> here's a question how would you define self-awareness that's a really good question well, I mean, despite like the, the obvious, like just awareness of, of the self. I don't <laughs> that is deep. That is the deep. Self exists. <laughs> yeah. So let's just switch that around. Um, no, I guess it's about being aware of what is going on inside your feelings as opposed mm. to just like, because you can very easily kind of like fall into the flow of life and just be walking around as if someone's like taking a part of your brain out, not really thinking. And it's about examining different parts. I guess, mm-hmm. like looking at the parts that might be causing you trouble, realizing that and then putting them under microscope. Mm. I think it's interesting that you said kind of what's going on inside. And I think a lot of our problems come from us living like a puppet, right? But living to everyone else's standard. And again, mm-hmm. if we think about this in terms of food and how we feel about our bodies and whether it be our bodies or what we eat or our jobs or anything, we often will do things because of everyone else telling us that's the right thing to do. We see this a lot with fat loss, right? Let's take that as such an easy example. We say like, why, like, why do you need to diet before your holiday? Well, because uh, everyone just diets before their holiday, but why do people diet before their holiday? Mm, Because they want to be leaner, but why do people want to be leaner on holiday? And, And when you keep questioning yourself, you go, well, actually, I don't actually care that much what my body looks like on holiday like you know I'm not saying it never matters but within say you lose five kilos for a holiday and you're already in a societally accepted lean body and then you lose five kilos it makes no difference to you or anyone else and yet because you're living for everyone else's kind of values and what society projects onto you you've done this whole thing potentially impacted your relationship with food and your health for no reason of your own but without self-awareness you don't even consider why you're doing something I think it's so bizarre like I'm I'm not massive on like exercise for aesthetics at all I haven't I've probably been in like a gym twice this year and once we got I did like 12 squats in my Birkenstocks my friend didn't turn up for jiu-jitsu and I was like oh fuck this I hate this (laughs) um but yeah it's like a questioning why like five or six times you'll get to a reason that has nothing to do with what you actually want it's just 
someone else has kind of put that idea in your head and it's annoying to do that right it's a kind of norms mm-hmm. I think the uh, asking yourself why multiple times is such a good journal prompt everyone's always asking us for journal prompts if you just ask mm-hmm. yourself a question and then say why three times or five times like you just said it can uncover so much more than you think and it's so basic to do yeah and I, and I think it's really important that then people don't go like self-awareness mad and like try and examine everything in their life because like Socrates pretty famous uh, philosopher was like oh, an unexamined life isn't worth living like you don't have to go that far you don't have to examine everything right because then you kind of forget to live then you're always like just looking extreme focus on this one point and there are so many opportunities or like just small moments of like peace pleasure or fun that just pass you by yeah you don't want to do that yeah (laughs) yeah I actually had this conversation with Joe Bryan who is um, a health psychologist about two days ago on another podcast and he I was saying you know often I work with people and they develop their self-awareness but then sometimes we'll struggle to get out of the self-awareness and then put things into action because we get so lost sometimes in saying well that's why I behave in this way and this is why I behave in this way and this is because of this value that society is interjected onto me and and that's all really important to recognize but that doesn't it just shows you the lens that you see things through it doesn't then change how you need to act or like you it doesn't stop you from having to take the action to move out of it yeah and there's so much information out there on how you can be self-aware and there's so many what people forget is there's so many different theories of like what you can be aware of so someone would be like, yeah, well, this is why I behave like this, because this happened in my childhood. It's like, who told you that? But like, well, I kind of saw like someone allude to that on an Instagram post. And it's like, well, hold on, mate. You haven't got a fucking clue what you're talking about. Maybe like consult someone who does have a clue what they're talking about. And then you'll know about yourself as opposed to just like making up this story because mm-hmm. someone has said about it on Instagram for sure it's so easy to fit anyone's mold if I say and I see this a lot if I'm like oh I used to be an avoidant and I had disorder you know and in the drama triangle I take on the role of the rescuer and all of these things I will get thousands of people that say to me oh that's me that's me that's me and it's like yeah but that might be you but it but it might not be just because I recognize these things in myself it doesn't mean that these are the things that happen to you but we love a label don't we we love to fall into like a category want to keep it simple yeah if only it was that easy it's not (laughs) (laughs) shocking Um, any books that you think were really helpful for like the set like your self-awareness development or that you think for other people might be helpful Uh, so I I used to quite like Eckhart Tolle but I don't think I actually liked him I think I kind of like gaslit myself into like (laughs) he was right um but recently I've realized that he was just a guy who had pretty much like a psychotic episode a long long time ago and just became instantly the most present man on earth um and was like he's got a really interesting story um Eckhart Tolle which makes you think "Mm, fishy so like a new earth and I probably would say that people can get something from a new earth but don't expect yourself to become a monk by reading a 300 page book so like don't put too much pressure on yourself to like do everything that it says in there um from a more like psychological perspective elephant in the brain why i think it's kevin simler and robin hansen um and it's just about how we deceive ourselves and i think learning different ways that your brain is trying to trick you because newsflash like your brain isn't on your side 
um, is really, really wise because once you understand that, you can recognize it and then that could become part of something you're aware of. But it's again, it's like education is liberation when it comes to this stuff, I think. Yeah, for sure. I think the thing with Eckhart Tolle is I think he's good for kind of an introduction to being present and an introduction to, if you get, I mean, I got one thing from him and that one thing was at the time that I needed it was like, you are not the voices in your head. And uh, once I got that, the rest of it was kind of negligible for me. But if it takes 300 pages to get to the point of recognizing that you are not your thoughts, read that book. Same with The Untethered Soul. I know we spoke about this on your podcast. It's such a cliche book, but if it gets you at the right time, it's a really good introduction, Mm -hmm. I think, into these types of, like this type of awareness. And then you can read maybe what did you say it was the elephant in the room the the, the elephant in the brain yeah I like it. and and what people who don't really read that often should like try and understand if they haven't studied anything for a while or tried to like actively learn about something yeah maybe don't like go for the elephant in the brain straight away because it's it's learning about you as a human sometimes isn't that nice like you you come across things that aren't, aren't that comforting yeah <laughs> shocking um we just deny those we just eat and then we don't have to recognize that they mm. exist um somebody told me <laughs> what what do you think of the chimp paradox i'm just intrigued so i used to really like it and i probably think that is like if, if someone doesn't really read that much they haven't got like a deep interest in psychology and they want to understand the basics of how their brain works that is the best place to go um because mm. it is really simple what people must understand before they go through any kind of like self-development self-help books is that it might not stick with them as a person like these these books are really popular and millions of people have maybe bought them but it hasn't stuck for every single one of those people i like i don't know any average people if, if you know what i mean who, who this stuff works for um so introduction to how tricksy your brain can be chimp paradox is really really good um but what people must understand is it it, it does go deeper than that yeah because i read it and i think i only read about 150 pages actually and then i just, just put it down and i couldn't i couldn't get it and i thought is this a me is this a me problem which it usually is to be fair or <laughs> is it actually the book but I think I think I read maybe it wasn't one of the first books I read I'd read other books and then tried to read that and I thought this feels like I think I just felt like I was taking a step out of my understanding as opposed to further in yes yeah simplifying it maybe a little bit too much yeah okay moving on um so the Again, if we're looking at the types of people listen to this podcast, right? One of the, or actually the main driver behind dysfunctional relationships with food is emotional dysregulation. Often people think it's the food that, and, and there are certain drivers, so hunger being a key driver, right? But aside from that, it's emotional dysregulation. And it's something that, so when we work with clients, we'll do, we'll work on things like mindfulness or work on things on self, like self-compassion and, um, some sort of like cbt dbt type techniques to support emotional regulation but what's your experience in terms of emotional regulation i know this is a really broad topic again i'm just throwing out words at you because i'm i'm you've got a really interesting perspective on things so i didn't want to like hammer into a key point i wanted to hear your thoughts 
so I used to have terrible emotional regulation and and I don't really know if I like like the idea of like regulating the emotions as a more of like probably the line that you go down with your coaching is like more just like feeling them and like having them there and knowing that they are probably a really reasonable response to whatever's happening in front of you right now because like life could be pretty tough um but I used to be terrible like when I was younger I used to get in fights all the time I used to get really angry like real like, anger issues I would say uh, someone who couldn't express their emotions so um, you're uh, such so, an alpha yeah well <laughs> I think when I was younger I did really like try to be I think it was like I don't know it's it's quite weird being a bloke who clearly isn't an alpha um like trying to navigate the land of like people in their early 20s um Sorry, we have to go back to the question. Emotional regulation. Yeah. What's my like journey with it? It used to be yeah. really bad. Now, like I'm compassionate towards myself. Like when emotions come up, I'm like, yeah, well, mate, I wouldn't be surprised if that came up because look at what's happening in your life. I think that's a really important thing for to be able to do is actually look at your life and to be able to say, Yeah, fair play if you feel a bit shit like that. That sounds difficult. Like to say that to yourself, because when you hear that from someone like a therapist or like a, a mentor or anyone it's so validating to hear someone say yeah not surprised that you like had that reaction or you got angry or you got upset from that um as opposed to like people forcing themselves to feel shame for feeling angry or hurt or upset or like hating themselves like having this like cycle of like self-blame that they're in and then making that worse by judging themselves for it um, so emotional regulation for me is essentially just letting it be there because I've meditated so much and I've seen like you see the chaos of your mind when you sit down and are still for long enough. You can let this stuff like come up and kind of surf the urge. I imagine that's that's something. Um, we do do that. We do do that. So like when you feel these emotions, I think just emotional regulation comes down to not feeling shame about whatever emotion comes up because that's a really good starting point about, mm. oh, that's where it is for me I think yeah <laughs> excuse me I agree and obviously I am Brene's number one fangirl so shame <laughs> I'm just like hear the word shame and I'm just like instantly turned on um but <laughs> I agree but I think what we see a lot of and I don't know if you've ever experienced this is so emotional regulation, basically, for anyone who doesn't quite understand, is just basically the ability to <laughs> regulate our emotions. And it's not so much control, although some people will kind of use that word. It's about being able to recognize and respond accordingly to our emotions. When it comes to people with dysfunctional relationships with food, often we will not allow ourselves to feel the emotion. And instead of feeling the emotion, we'll suppress or we'll suppress that or distract ourselves with food. And um, that's one of the things that we can do. Um, and so or or for example, if we're feeling uncertainty, we will try and control our food or control our exercise and, and as a way to control our feelings. So it's about trying to take away those coping strategies, which is terrifying to do and lean into the discomfort of our emotions. And that's, I, I certainly think that's something that requires practice forevermore. I don't think this is something that <coughs> you train yourself in and then you become emotionally regulated. I will just take time where I just won't journal for three weeks. I'm like, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. And I'm just not going to, I'm not going to face my emotions. I'm just going to crack on. And then I start eating a bit more and then I think I know exactly what I'm doing, but I'm going to keep going. <laughs> I don't know if it, you ever get to the point where you think I'm super well emotionally regulated. 
I just I don't think so. I hope not. Imagine how boring it would be to be like how robotic your life would be to not have that like chance of having your day fucked up by something. <laughs> Imagine. It would be terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I like I and and I have that as well. Like I'll ignore myself for a while. Like I won't journal for a while or I won't meditate for a few days. And I'm just like and I'll let myself I hate that it now in my mind feels like I'm like letting myself slip or something like that. So I have to try and actively fight that is like my new thing I'm trying to do is to fight the voice that says, oh, you're not doing enough to, to like keep yourself mentally stable. You better work harder. Um, and like I used to, like, although I did used to not be that great at regulating my emotions, like there was a time where I didn't have to do anything to kind of like just live. I was just living, right? And there are so many different things that go into this emotional regulation, journaling, meditating, maybe like doing something in your body, yoga, exercise. There's a lot that goes into it. And when you start ignoring yourself, you then punish yourself in your mind for just taking a break, which really is probably quite okay. Mm, absolutely and, and we'd like make it a bad thing in our mind i don't know if you feel like that when really if you took a month you you took six months off during the meditate and everything like you'd be all right i mean yeah i reckon oh no i don't that makes it <laughs> yeah. that actually makes me feel uncomfortable <laughs> the thought of that like no that's all my well, that's, strategies. So that's, that's the feeling i'm trying to like sit with at the moment oh god like... i have a question because i have been i started at a buddhist meditation center a few weeks ago and I'm starting my meditation teacher training and so I'm delving a little bit more into the realm of Buddhism and mm. what's interesting to me is the idea of one of the obviously the one of the concepts I'm not sure if concept is the right word but one of the concepts of it is the idea that we obviously it's about managing how we respond to certain situations right so the problems that we have are in our head and they're not in reality and it's all about how we respond and we can choose to respond or not and it's very obviously it sounds to me that buddhism as a way of living is very um you're in a state of equanimity you're, you're very rarely like fluctuate with your emotions and your feelings but i wonder where the line is between not like not reacting so choosing your response carefully mm. and actually ignoring any feelings that actually do come up because it seems like it seems like if you are this ideal buddhist practicing person you don't really feel any anger or any frustration or anything at all and then actually in reality when we're thinking about being well emotionally regulated we we do feel all these things we just manage how we respond to them can you come across mm. that yeah you gotta remember like i know buddhism is really popular but like it is only just one way of thinking about things right and you you'd come across this like trouble if you look at like stoicism as a philosophy it can look like you're just gaslighting yourself when you feel bad you're like mm, you don't actually feel bad respond to that properly so that doesn't actually make sense it's not a very human response um but there's there's lots of like good things in buddhism like about how life is just suffering right and and that seems pretty constant through most of the ancient philosophies but people in 2022 seem to have forgotten that um so like it, it sometimes it, like it doesn't make sense to revisit these old philosophies because like it kind of contradicts how we look at reality nowadays but no life isn't meant to be suffering life is meant to be joyful all the time 
um, and you're meant to like you can't just choose your response. So that is like it. Like, it's it's a stumbling block, isn't it? Really. Yeah, and I think it just highlights I think how you can't subscribe to one specific book that you read or one specific philosophy no. or ideology or person. A lot of times, like let's take social media as an example. Mm. I'll say stuff that is wrong. And I'll say stuff that you don't necessarily agree with. It doesn't mean that you're wrong or that I'm wrong. It just means that you can't take your your own life philosophy and way of being from one specific source. Yeah. You're going to disagree with some of it. I, that's why I like, I think philosophy is a really cool thing to get into just because there are philosophers who have addressed these problems that like maybe Buddhism overlooks. Like what happens when you do feel inadequate? Like, because you will at some point in your life, right? Like, there's going to be someone you'll maybe want to impress and you won't do enough to impress them. Or, like, you'll try and do something and you'll fail and you'll then feel inadequate. It's like, what does Buddhism say about that? Well, you, it's not a real feeling. It's all an illusion. The self is an illusion. Good luck. Have a good day. <laughs> Whereas, like, there, there are people like, they're like pessimist philosophers who are like, it's bad. It's only getting worse until it will get to the very worst point, which is when you die. Um, and sometimes reading philosophers like that, like it can be quite validating because these are truly really smart people who would have been like genius level when they were alive, who are looking at the parts of life that people perceive as a bit shit. I think that's a wiser way to look at things is to kind of expect it to be shit, to kind of be a bit of a pessimist. I, I, I am kind of a, like a, a pessimist and that's why I kind of struggle with social media a little bit because it seems to be optimism in in abundance. I just mm. I can't see I it. Think, I can't see how that's a good way to set yourself up. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. I agree. I'm probably I still call myself an optimist, but mm. I do agree with like the toxic positivity stuff. If you're interested in that stuff, read Emotional Agility by um, Susan David, and also have you read it? Yeah. Well, that was going to be one of the books that I was going to uh, recommend oh. for emotional regulation, but I didn't. I didn't oh, amazing! <laughs> yeah, the other one, if you like, if you think, if you like the idea of this pessimism stuff, is like as an intro level to that, it's like Mark Manson, everything is fucked, right? Mm. Yeah, that's that is when I read it, I thought, am I going to relate to this? And actually, <laughs> I really did because he doesn't come across as an as an nihilist or a pessimist, but it still gives you the viewpoint of well, everything's fucked anyway, so you might as well just live your best life. And I quite yeah. like that. I think it's like a, it's absurdism. Um, I don't know if you've ever come across Albert Camus. He's like a rock star philosopher from like the 1900s. People loved him. He's from like Algeria, migrated to France and was like joined the existentialists, but kind of had his own spin on it, which was like to be like free in an unfree world is like impossible. You just have to kind of exist. So your very existence is a rebellion. Um and it's kind of like the world just doesn't make sense. And to try and make any meaning of it is like a foolish endeavor because you're not actually going to be able to do it. Uh, mm. I really subscribe to that. I like, I, I do think the world's a bit crazy at times. Like I spend my life like perpetually confused by things in the world, trying to make sense of them. And I got to a point, like, I think it was when I chatted to Oliver Berkman um, for the podcast he said he'd spoken to this like zen meditation teacher he was like the purpose of my job is not to like give people stuff they can handle it's to make the problem so heavy that they just give up altogether and it's from that point you seem a little bit more free and i really like that idea i'm waiting to 
be able to put it into practice but sounds good <laughs> yeah I like that a lot when you were talking earlier I thought about Oliver Bartman and I remember you just had one of your podcasts I need to listen to that episode thank oh that was my favorite um ever. oh okay I'll have a listen he is the author of 4,000 weeks if anybody just wants to listen to that um which is another great book which I'm sure will come up in the next half an hour of conversation um what did you have any other books for emotional regulation or did I just jump on top of you and no no no. those are the, I'd, I'd forgotten to say about it so it was emotional agility by susan david i think that was one of the early ones that i read but i was like, oh wow like people can make sense of the more like negative um emotions that, that people have so yeah it, that was a really good book yeah i think the other one i would recommend is the gift by Edith edgar have you read that based on the title i'm going to say no i wouldn't have picked that up but what's it what's it about actually one of my clients gave it to me as a Christmas gift and she is a psychotherapist and also practicing mm. Buddhist mm. and she um it's less maybe it's maybe it's less about emotional regulation actually no it's a lot about awareness and she survived concentration camps wow. and she was she knew Viktor Frankl so she's a really interesting person you collect here um and she kind of just gives it's just a big dose of perspective in terms of how how hard life can really be and so you with your like overwhelming emotions and things as much as comparative comparative suffering suffering is not always helpful it's also a bit of comparative suffering of kind of like it's not really that bad so regulate your emotions because it could be a lot worse it's it's a yeah. good book I, it's, I really i really rated it um and yeah I think I want to read it and weirdly I'm speaking to somebody at the moment who recommended oh, what is it free to fly something like that I need to try and find it um and it's it's by a, a male Buddhist psychotherapist and he says this is one of the the best books that I've read um I'm actually going to get the specific name of it up because I think I might have possibly butchered the name a little bit but I like that I, I really enjoy books that combine like the buddhist spirituality with the practical psychotherapy side i think that's mm. i mean that's probably where i'll end up going with my own practice and stuff I and mean, it's where we we do a lot of work but is it by yeah, judith like rajhat rajhati a journey to wellness possibly free to possibly. fly a journey toward wellness it's a green cover uh no yeah kind of with a bit of sun on it mm. yeah uh talks about eating habits in a review on amazon so maybe oh no are you there yes i get you now Not again. We're, we're paused. Ooh. Right, Wait. hold on. I know what, yeah, but I know why it is. It's because I've okay. tried to Google something at the same time. Oh, silly. My computer can't handle it. Right, <laughs> this will be last time. Let me just write down what time we're on. Um, 11.45. Took about 20 minutes. In. Sorry. Okay, we'll keep going. Um, okay. Mm -hmm. But it was speech pie, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Moving on. 
we encourage pretty much all of our clients to journal to mm-hmm. support emotional regulation, self-awareness, all of the above. And when I was looking through your podcast lists and like having a, a little listening, I saw you done a full episode on it. Are you an avid journaler? Like, what do you think the benefits of are? Like, what have you seen the benefits for? And do you use a specific method of journaling? I think the 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 best thing that journaling does for you is kind of keeps you accountable to what you say that you want to do, which is a good thing, but you don't have to be too accountable. You don't have to do everything you ever set out to do. Um, and you can look back on it and see the progress. It is so nice to be able to like look back at something you wrote two years ago and be like, wow, I wouldn't feel like that out over that situation anymore. So it's kind of a way of like tracking your progress because you're going to misremember how you felt at a particular time of your life. So writing it down and having it like on paper that you can turn to in a couple of years is a pretty good idea because it makes you feel pretty good. <laughs> um, but yeah, I used, I used to do like or try to do gratitude lists and stuff like that but I mostly just write down kind of like what I'm feeling or like what kind of decision I'm trying to make try and work out how I feel about something because you'll notice a lot like when you talk to other people you kind of self-censor and journaling you don't really need to do that because no one should be reading a journal that is so against the rules um so yeah I just use it as a space now to kind of just like brain dump whatever's on my mind and then I'll work out kind of what needs attention or what can be like left for a bit did you not say on the podcast that we did before that you originally when you started journaling used to write it like quite well as if like you, as if someone was going to read it so you were writing mm. kind of like a bit of a facade and then you're like that's not actually the reality it's just in case someone reads it or in case I want to read it and I want it to look good I feel like I've definitely done that in the past I think I have had stages where I've like written like proper coherent sentences and paragraphs as if it was like a story of my day. And I thought, actually, if anyone did ever find my like journal, I'd be mortified. <laughs> like, like I sometimes I've found like journals that I've written. And it's like, if I died and someone found that, it was like when I was in like Portugal a couple of years ago, it was like I'd written down like three things and it was just like, did some acid last night think it was a bit old music sounded better chicken in portugal's cheap <laughs> like <laughs> um and and i i quite like not only do i like just seeing my emotional progress but i like just reading stuff like that and be like oh, good on you mate it sounds like a great evening <laughs> i mean god you were starting it chicken is cheap in portugal you had a lot of scorching food <laughs> Emma, I didn't really have much going on at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've got a journal from 2020, so I don't ever look back at my journals. I, I, to be honest, I, I don't want to go back to those places. <laughs> but, I mean, 2020, I'm surprised that that journal still exists and I haven't, like, set fire to it and, like, thrown it into the sky somewhere as a firework. But I have pages of there, and it's just all quotes from, like, Glennon Doyle's book contained. I must have just I know that I was going through a really hard time and I was trying to make a decision in my life and it was really really tough and I was like I was stuck for weeks of just like in terror of what I'm going to do and Untamed was the book that kind of came to me at that time that was just taught 
she obviously talks a lot about inner knowing and things like that mm. so on my journal pages they're so embarrassing when I think about it but it's just like your inner knowing is saying this it's <laughs> like just took six and I'm so embarrassed and if someone read that now I think I would I would that would be it my life would be over I can't even even think about it now it's horrible can you, but, can you imagine if someone thought I was an accurate representation of you <laughs> don't, don't, it's so bad it's so bad but this is why I have to assume that I will never read my journal back because I would never have written that stuff down if I thought oh I might read this back one day but at the same time at the time I remember thinking you have the potential to regret this decision so you need to write down everything that possibly has driven you to make this decision so that when you do regret it you can come back and say that this was your mental state at that mm. time this is why you made the decision that you did because I was just like there's so, so I suppose I did actually think maybe I'll read it back but now when I'm out of that situation two years down the line I'm like crikey that's embarrassing well that's really comforting there. to hear honestly because I like <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm the same I look back I'm like god you were mental mate <laughs> I feel like going two years time again, we're going to do this again. Yeah, all that time in oh. 2022, my God. Well, yeah, you can't really make decisions based on like the future. That I, I really struggled with for about four months. I couldn't really do much because I figured out that no matter what decision I make in life, I'm going to regret it at some point. I wish I'd done it a little bit differently. And I let that crush me for so long. because I was like, well, I'm not going to know what future Ed wants. So I might as well just, I don't know, do nothing. Like it, it can be quite a like crushing realization that, that you're going to be constantly regretting things. Yeah. Um, well, but it's nice when you hear other people talking about it. Like, oh, yeah. oh, it's not just me. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. But that's why I got, that's why I, I found Matt Haig's book when I, mm. so that was the recommendation I got from you, wasn't it? Midnight Library. And yes. that was, I read that book after I made that decision and I was living with some regret and I was like, oh God. And that book completely transformed the way that I felt about regret because mm. of course I don't live with regrets in general and I know I would say genuinely I have zero regrets in life genuinely but when it's something it's easy to say I've got no regrets in life when it's just oh, I bought the wrong color of car or I got the wrong color on my nails or whatever it is like yeah but when it's actually a life-changing thing it's a lot harder to think I don't regret it but I remember and I've got it as a tattoo on my arm now actually the tree of life because of that book of how whenever you make one decision it's really easy to think that that decision would look like your life as it is now but with that one decision different but this kind of chain of life analogy which I've never heard in this way before it's like well if you made that one decision then your life would branch off in an entirely different direction so your life wouldn't look like now but with a different color car it would look like a completely different life with a completely different car because that one decision just branches off in such different directions and that to me was just like life-changing so mm. I always credit you for giving me that book but it's all it's yeah. such a good book for, it, you know fiction book for if you struggle with regret yeah, yeah. I think also <laughs> um, it's worth noting that like sorry just to add on to that like if you wound back the like clock of the universe right and everything went back to the position like to the moment before you made the decision that you then end up regretting you would never have made a different decision. Like it was always mm. going to lead up to that point. And that's something people should yeah. get used to like remembering is that like everything that's happened in their life was pretty much always going to happen. And I, and I don't mean like, like universal fate, but I just mean 
we're not outside the laws of physics like everything's like cause and effect and a lot of the causes are out of our control um and mostly the effect is too so getting used to the idea that like you could never have made a different decision is quite quite a good one quite liberating i think mm, i like that I, I actually remember i posted something on social media once and i got a lot of backlash from people and i i felt really bad about it and i remember messaging someone but who's known on social media as like being quite outspoken and gets a backlash all the time and I was like I've just said I've done this thing and I, I feel like maybe I shouldn't have said it and he was like well if you went back to change it would you change it realistically I was like well no and he was like right well then live to learn to accept it and I thought god that is such a life lesson in just a little social media post but it is true like mm. realistically if you wouldn't if you would change it then okay do something differently next time if you wouldn't then just accept the fact that this is a natural outcome of the decision that you chose to make and that's yeah. life it is what it is as much as that saying is really <laughs> unhelpful sometimes sometimes when it comes to acceptance it's actually quite helpful yeah yeah like i was actually thinking whether like any other countries have nice phrases for that like you know how like, that's how the cookie crumbles i wonder if there's like nicer phrases in other languages that not english <laughs> that describe like, that kind of situation i bet the french has got one I bet the french yeah. got one i might ask my dad um okay moving on um so a lot of our people that we work with people that listen to this podcast really really struggle with the idea of rest and with the idea of time out so on a really basic level rest from the gym taking a day mm. off the gym but on a more slightly complex level the idea of not taking the day off work especially a lot of coaches and pts that listen to this podcast who work seven days a week or feel guilty for watching an hour of tv and like really associate their worth with accomplishment and there I know that you've read tons of books on this sort of in this sort of realm like mm. have you ever had it do you ever have you ever felt like that yeah what is in like I can't not do something because it will impact my success status blah 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 yeah yeah absolutely I think like when I started the podcast I was under the illusion that like consistency is what will 100% get you success and i understand that like it it makes the odds like pretty good but not as good as the people who are successful and who say that claim them to be you know um and i kind of had to get out of that that was like a conscious thing like that was a it came up on like one like the radar of my self-awareness that i was too concerned with like doing a job and trying to please people on the internet and I don't really know if you've really noticed but I don't really post that much on Instagram anymore um and if I do it's like me trying to like take the piss out of something and I think that's because for a certain period I was trying to put out so much content and please all these people and I recognized in my life that I was letting that get in the way of the people who actually really mattered because no offense to all of like the people that follow me, but I don't give a shit about them in the same way that I care about my friends and my family and like my dog and that should be expected. Um, so like, even if it's your PT and it's your clients, it's like, man, you've got to like care about yourself and like the people around you a little bit. It's not just you that you're like hustling for like all the time. It's not just yourself you're ignoring. It's all the like pretty fucking cool people in your life that you really like, but are choosing not to spend time with them because you want to like hustle. It's like 
society is that is something we can blame society on we can blame margaret thatcher and ronald reagan for that this whole like neoliberal idea of you must like work and perform for the economy people haven't always done that people probably enjoyed their life a little bit more when they didn't work all the time yeah absolutely i think i think a lot of it is like society and like this idea that we have to to achieve to be worthy of something mm. but then there's also i think the, the, the cultural norms intersperse with the inherent self-worth problems that we all have and that we just think oh well i'll just keep doing more i'll be consistent i'll keep achieving i'll keep doing all these things in the hope that at one point i'll feel worthy enough to show up in this world as i am and 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 so like you have to tackle both right you have to tackle self-worth and the fact that like you're measuring your markers of success from society's markers of success or industry's markers of success but actually are they even your markers of success and i think that's something that's important yeah the way i do this because i i'm I'm like a i fill up with like instagram and looking at people on the internet people are going to judge themselves by the amount of work that like this top 0.1% of the world can manage to do because they neglect all the other sides of their life to hustle, right? Would you ever want to hang out with those people? And like, you wouldn't take advice from them, right? Because really, you'd be like, well, you've got no mates. You're, you don't seem to spend any time with your family. All you care about is work. Or oh, what the fuck? I, I personally think that is shit. So I okay. look at them and I, and I would never compare because I'm like, wow, you work terribly hard and I would never fancy doing that. Um, <laughs> and like a, I think about all the people that people look up to on the internet, like it, give me some names of, of people who are like famous, like a Molly May or something like, like real popular culture. Can you actually imagine spending more than five minutes there? It'd be fucking dreadful. And, and I'm not just picking on her because she's a woman. I think about um, <laughs> I Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson. I would never want to hang out with him. I couldn't think of anything worse. It'd be fucking boring. He'd just tell me all about being a Christian and being a conservative. And I'd be like, mate, you need to chill out. I hate you. Sorry, um, just chill out. <laughs> you are right. Like, you are right. I think, like... I don't believe that comparison is a thief of joy. I think comparison can sometimes be helpful in certain situations. Mm. But whenever you compare in that sense, you are comparing your inside to everyone else's outside, right? And then when you, like you said, imagine you just looked at the reality, and I don't think we do that enough. Look at the reality of that person's life or that who that person is, and it's like, realistically, is that that what we want? It might be. It might be. Mm. But something I definitely, like I definitely used to be the person who overworked. Now, I think mm. there's a time and a place also for overworking, by the way. I genuinely do. If you want to start your own business, I think there's a time and a place for overworking um, mm. with some, some sort of boundaries in place. But that was definitely me. But now I, I always have to come back to myself and look at, I've got a lot of friends in the industry who work more hours than me, work harder than mm. me and run more successful, like multiple companies or more successful businesses than me. I mean, not many. But you know, so <laughs> um, yeah. and I, but I always have to check in and say, is that the life that I want? Is that the markers mm. of success? Like, and then, then I have to come back to, well, no, my markers of success are my mental health, my physical health, my connection with other people, my development of like relationships and stuff like that. Yeah. And so I have to come back to that, and that helps me from overworking. But what, like, what books have you read? What, like, what do you think about like supporting people to 
slow down or to just recognize the importance of rest. I know you recommended one to me about God, was it called? Was it called the, Rest? The Book of the Rest. Book of rest. Yeah, by yeah. Gabrielle James and um uh, yeah, Gabs. I can't remember her last name, but I do really like her. She's a legend. She came on a podcast. Book of Rest is great. Um, because it just is about yoga nidra. And yeah. so like the like yoga of sleep. And that unlocked the idea for me that you can actually just rest in these in-between moments in life. It's like, you know, when you're like stood in a queue and people get frustrated, they pull out their phones straight away. It's like, actually, you can just like pause there. You don't have to like sit on the floor and like hold your hands out and cross your legs. You can just pause in these in-between moments. And I, obviously, you know, like when you first get into mindfulness, it's it's set to like a particular time of day that you get your mindfulness in. And, and eventually you should let that kind of like spread throughout your life so I I spend a lot of time now like I go for a lot of walks without my, my headphones and I'll just stop and I like it's like people don't really do that that much it's it's quite odd that it's not encouraged to just actually just like stand still where you are especially if you're somewhere nice and just like have a look around and take note of what's around you like look look for five things all right what five different colors of green can you see move when you've seen five you can like gamify it to make the rest like fun until it's something you actually learn to enjoy and like finding those in-between moments in life because it does help you slow down and we move awfully fast <laughs> i so much agree something that we use i mean first of all the image of you just stopping in the middle of the forest and looking for five shades of green is exceptional um <laughs> but <day>. also something <laughs> something i do with my clients that i picked up from i picked up from a research paper but it's from um a book on being human by mm. jen pastoff which mm. didn't love the book but it's a good intro into self-compassion for people that are kind of want to learn a bit more about it but she introduced this idea of beauty hunting which is the same sort of thing of mm. one like every single day take a picture of one natural piece of beauty and it could be five shades of green in the forest but it could also be an old couple in love or it could be like I don't know wet like some food it could be anything but actively stopping slowing down to find the beauty and reality I think is amazing and I try and do that every day I don't take pictures of it every day although maybe I do um but just slowing down and being silent in the forest I put up Instagram story about this up the other day. Like, if you struggle to be in silence and ask yourself why, and so many people were like, "Yeah, I feel personally attacked by that. I can't be in silence." And it's like, but that's mm. like, why? It's either because you don't want to be alone with your own thoughts, or it's because you feel like you need to be achieving every second of the day. And Oliver Burke, um, Oliver Burton's book, obviously, Four Thousand mm. was so transformational for me for that, and I think everyone should read it in the sense of like he talks about idleness aversion like this aversion that we have just to doing nothing and I've been reading a lot about um relaxation induced anxiety which is another thing that we get which is a genuine physiological feeling of anxiety we get in response to rest and and this is like what amazes me is like this is your one life and I've because of family situations and stuff in the last year I have got this again Oliver Burton talks about this this sober joy this realization of like life is transient and it's so so short and you are literally choosing to spend it on constantly achieving constantly doing constantly making sure you get in exactly 10,000 steps a day or you don't ever miss a training session and and you're sacrificing so much of just being mm. present in your life 
and I worry that one day we're going to wake up when we're in our 70s and think shit I wish I spent more time just being with people or being or just enjoying my own company or enjoying the beauty of the day that I had because when you're 70 and you can't see the five shades of green because your eyesight is starting to go or you can't like run around like your kids anymore or whatever it is you're going to really regret all the time she didn't do it and sacrifice mm. it for like again that extra thousand steps or that one gym yeah. session that you couldn't miss or or even for like more kind of noble aspirations of like supporting the people around you like some people will hustle real hard to do that because they think that they need to and the reality of it is is like the the quality of your life that you're trying to achieve by working really hard is no trade-off for the time like that you would get with your family or your loved ones and like my granddad is quite a good example of this is that he's a man who cared about money all his life and only cares about like working his dad got up at 4am and he ran a shop and he was young it's just one of those type of people who's like oh i loved hard work he's now in his late 80s like miserable still thinks that like people just care about money as opposed to like time with him and just isn't a great person and and i think that's what happens when you focus on work all of your life that's like the, the example i've i've seen in in my reality anyway it's just like you're not a very nice likable person when all you give a shit about is work because you then come under the illusion that like maybe you do become successful that you have then deserved it and people who then aren't successful deserve that which is a horrible way to look at people really because there's so much that goes into it um but yeah just working all the time seems dumb to me <laughs> yeah yeah there's definitely a balance and I say this again as a former hustle culture person and as someone mm. who like all of the coaches that work with me they work hard and I'm like and I'll always have discussion I'm like you work in our team we all are people that really work hard but on top of that we also rest hard and we also mm. play hard like we have to do it all and um, yeah. you can't do one without the other I mean yes you can't do one without the other um, did you have any other any other books on that? Um, I think again in the Oliver Berkman book, like whilst we're on the on the topic of his, the antidote by him is really, really, really good. Um, that's about like happiness for people who can't stand positive thinking. That goes into like a goal driven life in there, and like basically attacks the whole self help industry. And like does the kind of like Mark Manson, like counterintuitive thing, but does it, I, I would say in a better way, just a less popular way. Um, and it's, it's a really, really good book for that. Because um, there's, so, there's so many productivity things you can look at, but there's not many like how to rest. So the book of rest for the resting 4,000 weeks for productivity, because like stepping out of that is probably one of the best things you ever do. I, d- I don't know about your experience with that book, but I always like to give like a little bit of a disclaimer. Like it's quite uncomfortable to, learn like what you've been aiming at might not be best for your well-being in the long term and i and i struggled with that when i read it and it took me a couple of weeks to come around to the idea um so it could come with like an existential crisis disclaimer yeah do you know what do you know what it came to me at such the right time because it came to me at the right time so i didn't feel too much attacked because it was the way that i was moving my life so actually it was more confirmation bias but something that i did love in it and i shared this with emma actually was the idea of procrastination like there's this narrative that we procrastinate because we're scared of the outcome we're scared of succeeding and all of this stuff and yes that might well be part of it right but the other part of it is that what he said is 
we procrastinate because we have this idealized vision in our head that we can do everything perfectly. And if we actually then like take action on something, we have to learn. We will learn that we have to sacrifice something in order mm. to get something else. And rather than accept the fact that we can't do everything and we can't have everything in our life, we just don't do it. We just don't act on it. So the example he gave was, I think, I can't remember the, the person, but it was some old, I want to say some old king or someone, like an old guy a long time ago. And he had a relationship, but it was like a, a penmanship relationship. So it's like he had a pen pal, right? He was in love with this mm. woman. I don't know if you remember this, but then like mm. he ran his empire and he had a really successful life. And then, and from the outside, it was like, he could tell himself, I'm doing it all. I'm balancing this relationship. I'm running my empire. I'm living my best life, basically. But he never actually made the commitment to then start this relationship with this person in person. Mm. Because he knew if he did that, he'd have to sacrifice his work. And he'd have to sacrifice part, other parts of his life. And he refused to do it. So he procrastinated on procrastinated on it. Because then in his head, he was like, yeah, I've got this. I, I've got it all. I can have it all. And, and I like the idea of like, you have to accept that you cannot have it all. You cannot mm. do it all. And that's freeing when you go, do you know what? I can't do it all and I can't have it all. And actually I sent it to, like I said, to Emma and, and someone else because I was like, I think this is why you're procrastinating on this part of your life because you mm. think that actually it's much easier to tell yourself you can do it all. And you're like, hmm. wasn't Emma, it was someone else. And you're like, hey, yeah, maybe. And I like that. I recognize that in myself recently. Like I was going to start a new podcast and because not enough white guys a podcast in the world i might as well have two right um, exactly. and yeah like i actually kind of came to that realization like i'd said it as a joke when i first thought of it but like oh another white girl with the podcast and i was like actually do i really need like two <laughs> like i was trying to start <laughs> a new project and it was distracting me from a need to read which my like relatively successful project that i've been doing for like two and a half years and really enjoy it um, yeah. but it's just like because I was maybe a little bit bored a little bit stagnant didn't know which direction I was going I was like yeah I'll just do a new project alongside it and I'll take on like three times the work that'll work and <laughs> now like I'm, I'm probably pretty burnt out like at the moment um, because I'm paying the price for that procrastination by trying to do too much mm. okay moving on um, when we were in Mexico you said you were reading Humankind and you said mm. it was like one of the best books. I don't know if you still stand by that. And I haven't read it, um, but I would like to know a little bit about it because if it's such a fabulous book and everyone should read it, then you need to tell us a little bit about it. Well, you, what you have to realise about me is I read a lot of books, right? And my present bias is no different to anyone else's. So when I read a book and I'm like, oh my God, it's the best ever. If that's within the first two weeks of me reading it, don't listen to me. <laughs> because <laughs> okay. uh, so it crap. might not be true. No, it's actually a really good book um, and it can make people a lot more compassionate towards others even like nazi soldiers like the, from what they found out from the interviews in the prison camps is like the like nazi regime kind of started like 10 miles back from the front the actual soldiers who were on the front were kind of just like protecting the person next to them and you would like if if you're in a like a, a war and someone attacked england and all your mates were going to war you've got well i suppose i'm gonna have to because like my friends are all gonna die and maybe i'll be able to do something to prevent that um it does make you kind of realize that most humans at their core are not bad even though their behavior might display badness you know like they'll still go home to someone and love them compassionately probably or they'll have someone that they love and people are capable of good and bad 
it focuses too much on how good people are for me if i'm being completely honest um humankind like since then i've actually been trying to learn about what's fucked in the world and i'm a bit obsessed with that and it seems to me that not like people are either sometimes pretty bad or ignorant and i think there's like an, a, a mass ignorance that kind of makes the world suck sometimes if you know what i mean yeah i think i think actually i remember having this conversation with you because there's a i like to think like a compassionate way of thinking is everyone is doing the best they can from where they are and so whenever i get frustrated with someone or someone is really horrible or they do something shady i'm like that that's really sad that's the best that they can do from where they are mm. right now and i think that can be really freeing and i guess it's the same sort of premise of humankind of it can be really freeing and help you connect more with people and be more compassionate towards people but there is definitely a line because then you especially a lot of people listen to this podcast are people pleasers mm. and i know that's yeah, a fact yeah. and so then it's like well but then these people are tend to be the types of people that let people push their boundaries as it is and let people mm. away with bad behavior as it is so it's about finding the line between like yes that's the best they can from where they are but having enough self-worth to recognize that that's their best and that's fine but you keep that at a distance you don't invite yeah. like that nazi nazi soldier was doing the best he could from where he was mm. but that doesn't mean that you want to invite him in to your house and have sex with him like there's a there's a line and you got to yeah. know where your worth is I, there, I actually saw a pretty some woman died recently who was uh from the netherlands and she like her and her sister used to seduce nazis bring them into the forest and shoot them so like sometimes they do bring them into the oh, house really, oh my God. Pretty, pretty cool story yeah she like very recently died oh wow wow i mean good for her i don't know if i can say that well i feel like when they're trying to steal all your mates like it's a reasonable reaction yeah. i like you can't blame yeah. them basically I feel, I feel like that's the kind of idea it's like lots of people behave in ways that some people would perceive it as terrible but if you kind of understood their whole story you might be like mm, yeah i understand why that happens mm. and, I, and it's and, it, and it's tough like, it, is, it is it is tough by the way yeah. like it's it, it challenges compassion i think like it's it's really really challenging and i like because i don't really believe in free will like my compassion has to be like unending but I, I I have to die on this hill and be like, yeah, everyone kind of deserves compassion, even the horrible people. Because it's like, like I said about how we could never behave differently if you turn the universe back. It's like they couldn't either. Like no one chooses their choices, which it sucks. It's so bad because it's so nice to believe that there are bad people and there are good people. But, but I guess that what? that's like a good, you're a privileged person when you're a good person. And I know that it feels like there's this choice, but it's, it's great. I I don't like to think of good people and bad people though and I don't because then you think then when you do something shady you think of yourself as a bad person and yeah like Brene Brown obviously talks about the difference between guilt and shame of guilt being like I did something bad and shame being I am a bad person and mm. and thinking that you are, a, are inherently flawed because of an action you've taken is a cause of so much of our suffering and actually being able to differentiate between like yeah like i messed up i made a bad decision and i am not worthy of ever making another decision again it's really really important for your mental health i think mm. okay. um okay so i would like your th 
any fiction book that you really rate because we all struggle with fiction books because we don't read that many of them and your top three favorite life-changing books of all time okay uh so fiction i think you, you mentioned midnight library earlier and i'm catering this to the audience because my favorite fiction books now are way too weird for people to, <laughs> to like them like i got like i said i was a bit absurdist earlier in the year i read quite a few absurdist novels um <laughs> So I will do a book for non-readers, readers, and like people who don't mind just like trying to like a book. So Midnight Library for like non-readers, so they can get into that and get into like a fiction story that will grip them and activate some emotions in them, which is a good thing. That's what art is for, is to like invoke emotion. Um, a Little Life by Hanya Yungahara is an 800 and something page novel, is the best book that I've ever read it's made me cry like 20 odd times um it was amazing so I think I read that in Mexico I think I must have told you about it at the time um and then there's a book called Steppenwolf and it's by a, a German guy called Hermann Hesse and he was around like the early 1900s and like won Nobel Prize pretty good writer I've loved all his books but Steppenwolf it, validates people who feel that they don't quite fit in in like various different ways because there's there's the people who don't fit in so they're obviously out right and then there are people that are couldn't be so obviously out so they're they're in and i know this isn't a great way of explaining it because people listening can't see my hands doing it <laughs> Steppen, steppenwolf is essentially a german word for wolf of the steps so a wolf that doesn't want to be in the city and it doesn't want to be in the woods. And lots of people, when, when you really ask them about it, feel like a Steppenwolf. They feel like they're not quite the one who's going to be in the party, but they don't want to be completely out of the party. And they sit and occupy this like space in between of like, I don't know how to engage with civil society so much, but also get enough rest and space and nature for myself. Steppenwolf by... Herman Hesse covers that it's all about men right you can, and I mean we can we can handle that right we can <laughs> we can handle that and at one point they talk about how he needs a beautiful woman to change his life and and that it was Germany in the nine, early 900s you know <laughs> um but it's a it just helps you kind of feel seen as one of those people and i've spoken to so many people who i would never have expected to feel like they were the steppenwolf who have read that book and been like crying and be like wow i've never felt so seen um so if anyone's willing to give like a 200 and something old book 200 year old 200 and something page really old book a go i think it'll be really worth it for them okay oh great oh i like i feel like the sound of it you sold it well um, you in particular actually would like Siddhartha, um, which is also by the same guy. And if anyone's more into mindfulness, it's it looks at internal conflict in the same kind of way as Steppenwolf does. And it's by the same guy and it's set around the time of the Buddha and follows a Brahmin who was like going to follow the Buddha. And does he want to live this like life of being spiritual? Or does he want the life of debauchery that he could get in the city? And it and it's a it's a good balance. <laughs> so actually maybe <laughs> Yeah, change change Steppenwolf out and put Siddhartha in there. I'll go. I'll give you this okay. list after. Um, okay, great. And um, life changing books. I, I think we've we've spoken about four thousand weeks, and and that it really 
is like the best book I've read over the last like year in terms of nonfiction. Um, the Happiness Trap as well. Uh, just mm. I think getting a basic understanding of like acceptance and commitment therapy, which kind of what the book's based on, is a really good idea. And it's like eight quid and there's no therapy sessions that cost you eight quid. It's just like you have to put a little bit of time in to read it. Um, of course, it's not as like personal as therapy, but it's it's got good instructions in there on how to manage your mind. Um, well, this is so tough because I have been reading not many like life-changing books at the moment. I'm like kind of learning about different things, but maybe Waking Up um, by Sam Harris. Um, searching for spirituality without religion and also just because uh, we haven't spoken about it but invisible women uh yeah, by Georgia loves that. caroline credo perez uh i feel mm. it'll be quite quite validating for people to read but, do you know what uh, yes. I, I haven't read that because i know what's in it and i actually mm. just don't want to be angry i yeah. don't want to be angry it's not that I don't have the awareness and I think because I think that's such a cop out of like well I just don't want to know because then I'll get pissed off mm. I think that's a cop out but I know what's in it and I'm very well aware and yeah. I just I think I need to be in a place where I'm like okay it's fine I'm at peace okay now I can read it and I can handle the anger that's going to come from it because it's all just yeah. about how we live in a men like a, a world of men right and a world yeah. made for men like it's good it's like a it's, it's certainly good for blokes to read it just to like get a basic understanding at some point i felt like she might have been clutching at straws um just mainly because an iphone she was like oh it's just set to like a man's hand it's like i don't know anyone with the average man's hand size and also like it's a computer in your pocket fucking come on yeah yeah <laughs> um, yeah but there are some harrowing stories in there that are way worse than just like the size of a mobile phone and i think it's good for um people to read because it exposes like just how terrible life is in different parts of the world um because I, I i from what i see in feminism is that there is like a a lot of hate from I don't know, minorities to like the white savior woman feminist who's just like, I just care about becoming a CEO. I don't care about like equaling the landscape. And I, and I think it's good to understand that stuff because sometimes you can see that criticism and be like, oh, well, just like they're doing their best. Um, yeah. Or you can see it and be like, oh, yeah, well, they're just selfish and using that as like a cover up for, for their own personal gain. Do you know what? I think that's such a good point in general because you see this with mindfulness, you see this with mm. spirituality, you see this with a lot of stuff we've been speaking about today. People use it. Yes, it's a tool for self-development, but surely the point of self-development and feminism and all of the stuff is to create a more peaceful world for everyone that's in mm. it and a more equal world for everyone that's in it. And like becoming more mindful is great for your your well-being, but it's also so that you can then share that with other people and you can be more mm. present with other people and help other people connect and surely that's the purpose the wider purpose of all of this stuff but then you go onto social media and it's like privileged white girls manifesting that they go to the Maldives or whatever it is and you just think like that's not 
that's but, mate, the Maldives is going to be underwater stuff. soon, so you better be quick. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe pay attention to that part of it. <laughs> they don't care. Daddy's helicopter will save them. Like, it's, a, it's all, like, it's so portrayed in such a selfish way a lot of the time that it's like, mm. that's not... And it's easy to get stuck in your own head with all of this stuff. It's so easy to think about self-awareness and um, think your own thoughts and your own stories and how you can be better. But it's also really important to think about, well, why does this matter for the bigger world that we live in? Because that's what compassion actually is. It's about yeah. accepting everyone and being there for everyone. And I think that's sometimes missed. Yeah. And I think you can like easily become a self-aggrandizing asshole when you get too involved in like self-development space. Like you think you're the one who knows and that you're better than everyone. And that's not a good person to be. For sure. <laughs> okay. On that note, that was delightful. Thanks so much. Hey, thank you very and, much for having me. And I apologise to anyone who had issues with um, maybe if there was a little crackly bits in the sound, but my Wi-Fi decided to completely break today. So hopefully I've edited any of that about, but if not, then oh, sorry. Um, okay, thanks everyone. Thank you, thank you, bye. Thank you, bye. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it and... As always, if you did, please do feel free to like, share, subscribe and review. And if you would like to chat to me, then you can find details of my Instagram in the show notes.